Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to episode 83 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. Terrific to be in on a Wednesday night. Finally had a day off from doing some sports things with WMCO at Muskingum University. We had a men's soccer game tonight and had two people that are very knowledgeable about soccer hopping on the broadcast, and I'm not a super knowledgeable person about soccer, so I was very thankful that they were able to cover that broadcast tonight and and do that, and that allowed me to come home and be able to sit here and, and do this for you. So episode 83, week four wrapped up, uh, the beginning of the week, Bengals-Steelers, really, a, 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 it was a stinker game in my opinion, uh, just because both teams are not very good teams, both 0-3 on the season, and Pittsburgh Steelers, they came out and whooped the Bengals. I was kind of surprised. I thought the Bengals were going to win. I didn't fare too well in my primetime predictions. I lost the Packers-Eagles game last Thursday. I did win the Jaguars-Broncos game. I picked the Jags. Then I believe I lost the Cowboys. Uh, I lost the Cowboys-Saints game. Saints won that game. I did have the Bears over the Vikings. And then I lost the Steelers over the bank of the Bengals. So I went, uh, let's see, I went one, I went two and three over the week. Not very good. Not my best week. But, you know, that's what happens. Um, the Packers and the Eagles played a very close game. Jaguars were down for a while against the Broncos. I almost went one and four. But, yeah. Also, the Giants won over the weekend as well. They played the Redskins. And Daniel Jones, to everybody now, seems like a world beater. The Giants are now two and two. And everybody claims that... The Giants are back after a seven-year hiatus. Can we just relax and pump the brakes on Daniel Jones? Let me ask the question, who have the Giants played in the previous two weeks that are even relatively close to good competition? It's a legitimate question. Daniel Jones' first start, played against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are by far the most inconsistent team, though the most difficult team to judge in the National Football League. You don't know week to week what you're going to get from Jameis Winston, Mike Evans, the defense. You don't know what you're going to get. They lost to the New York Giants two weeks ago, and they go out and beat the LA Rams this past weekend, 55-40 to in their highest scoring game in franchise history. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the most difficult team to judge. They're the most inconsistent. They should be unstoppable. They have a really good offense. They have a couple backs that can run the ball. Bruce Arians is the quarterback whisperer. This team should be really good, and they've improved their defense. But yet, they're still the most inconsistent team, and Jameis Winston goes through streaks of super hot, completes everything, is on fire, and then long extended cold streaks where he'll throw three or four interceptions in a game. By no means do I think that that is a a, a statement win for, for Daniel Jones. Yes, they came from behind 
18 points, but only the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would give up an 18-point lead because of how inconsistent they are. Buccaneers still should have won in the end on the last second field goal they missed. Yes, statistically, Daniel Jones went 23 of 36, 336 yards, two touchdowns throwing, and two touchdowns rushing. But, I mean, come on, it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then last week, plays the Washington Redskins, who are a worse football team than the Buccaneers. They win 24 to 3, which I would hope so. And he threw two interceptions. But everybody says that Daniel Jones looks like an elite quarterback, looks like the next big thing, looks like the second coming of Eli Manning. Let me remind you that Eli Manning wasn't very good. You, you, you say, oh, he won two Super Bowls. He had an outstanding defense and he got lucky a couple of times. David Tyree's helmet catch. Luckily, he wasn't. Call, he wasn't sacked on that play. They had him held up. They're lucky they didn't blow it dead. And then in the Super Bowl years later against the Patriots, Mario Manningham made an impossible catch. Granted, it was a good throw, but it was an impossible catch over two defenders. And they got lucky. Eli Manning was never very good. Through a million picks. It's an exaggeration, but you get what I mean. The only reason why Eli Manning is going to get into the Hall of Fame is because he has the two Super Bowls over Tom Brady. But Daniel Jones has done nothing and he's played nobody. Daniel Jones threw two interceptions against a terrible Redskins team who are at this point playing for nothing. They inserted Dwayne Haskins into the game the other day and he looked like a deer in the headlights. Daniel Jones looks like he can play a little bit, but who has he played? Let's be honest. And next week, the Giants are going to be in the game against the Minnesota Vikings as well. They're going to be in that game because Kirk Cousins, quite frankly, sucks. He he is not worth the $84 million guaranteed that he's getting on a three-year deal from the Minnesota, Minnesota Vikings. If you could if you could refund a deal in the league, that would be the one deal that I would I would try and void and get rid of. That would be it right there. Kirk Cousins is a liability for this team. Threw the ball 10 times in week one and just misses all the time. He's just not very good. So Daniel Jones is going to be in the game against the Minnesota Vikings. I wouldn't call the Minnesota Vikings a great team. They have a good defense. They have a a really good defense, but their offense is... uh, You don't know what you're going to get week to week because they're not going to... Dalvin Cook's not going to be able to run the ball for a hundred buck fifty every week. He's not going to be able to do that. Eventually, Kirk Cousins is going to have to throw the ball down the field, and right now he's not doing it. The Giants are going to be in that game, but basically what I'm saying to you is the Giants haven't played anybody. Daniel Jones has not played a formidable defense yet. The Vikings are a good defense. That's going to be a challenge for him, but the Giants are still going to have a chance in that game because of how poor the Vikings offense is playing. Everybody needs to pump the brakes on this whole Daniel Jones is going to be the next superstar, which I'm not saying he can't be down the line, but people just need to chill out. He's played nobody. He has not played an elite defense. 
and he threw two picks against an extremely bad team. The kid is, he's got a little bit of talent and he's, but he's also raw. People just need to relax on Daniel Jones and the Giants are not back. They've played two weak teams in a row and they got a little bit lucky against the Buccaneers because the Buccaneers are the most inconsistent team in football. They've got the Vikings, which it's going to be a tough defensive test for Daniel Jones. That'll be his toughest defense that he'll face to this point. Then he plays the Patriots the following week. Giants will get waxed. Then you got the Cardinals. They may have a chance in that game. The Lions have been really good this year. They're 2-1-1. They lost to the Chiefs barely, and they tied with the Cardinals. Then you got the Cowboys again, and the Cowboys waxed the Giants week one. They have the Bears down the line, the Packers, the Eagles. I mean, by no means is this schedule, this schedule is going to get much worse for Daniel Jones, and he's going to play a lot poorly in those games. And then people are going to be doubling back on this Daniel Jones is a world beater, next superstar ordeal. Just relax. Daniel Jones has done nothing but beat two terrible teams. Let's just set the record straight with that one. Now I want to shift gears into the Ford food chain after week four of the NFL season. Number 10. I've got the Cleveland Browns at number 10. I think they found their formula. I think running the football with Nick Chubb has got to be their, their strategy. The thing they've got to try to try to establish early on in games from now on. I think Freddie Kitchens has figured that out. They went very run heavy against the Baltimore Ravens, a very tough defense, probably the the best run defense in the league. And Nick Chubb ate him up. I mean, big, big runs for touchdowns. Nick Chubb is an emerging superstar running back. And instead of, I, I know Baker Mayfield's got all these weapons on the outside. He's got Odell and Juice Landry and Joku's on the IR, but they have some skill positions that are, I mean, it's it's loaded. They're loaded on the skill positions. And I think Freddie Kitchens was trying to get Baker Mayfield to just hit those guys all the time and be a pass-heavy offense. And because of how talented they were, he thought that they would win every single time with with those guys on the outside just as far as the one-on-one matchups go. And that really hasn't been the case. They haven't been that dominant in the passing game. But if they stick to the run with Nick Chubb, control the clock, then open it up with the pass, and Baker Mayfield is is an accurate quarterback, especially in the play action, I think that's what they kind of need to do. Very similar to a Dallas Cowboys type of offense. Run heavy with Zeke. But Dak Prescott is probably the best play-action quarterback in the league, in my opinion anyways. Just from the sheer numbers, Dak Prescott is in the top three in every statistical category when it comes to play-action this season through four games. He's super good. I think that's what the Browns need to do is put Baker Mayfield in more of those types of situations. And I think he will be one of the better play action quarterbacks in the league because of his accuracy and how intelligent Baker is. 
But I think they found their formula, run the football, then open it up with the pass to Odell and Jarvis Landry. And there it is. They're number 10. Number 9, I have the LA Rams. That's a significant fall for them. I had them at 6 last week. Falling to number 9 now after losing to the to the Bucks. Listen, they're still a loaded roster. I mean, their offense, Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods. That's a almost as good a trio as any in the NFL as far as wide receivers go. Jared Goff did throw the ball over 60 times against the Bucks. He threw for 500 yards, which I would hope so, throwing it that many times. But he also threw a handful of picks against a bad uh, against a an okay defense and he also fumbled the ball late in the game as well that sealed it, sealed their fate. And I don't know if Jared Goff's worth all the money that he's getting from the Rams. I think he's too young. I don't think he's as good as guys like Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield and obviously Patrick Mahomes, but he's not, Jared Goff is not to the same level as these other quarterbacks, these other young studs in the league. But he's got tremendous help with these skill positions and with Todd Gurley. But Todd Gurley, ever since he's gotten paid, hasn't looked the same. And the Rams aren't utilizing him like they used to. I don't know if they're just trying to save the gas or what. But their offense doesn't look good. They lost Roger Saffold, their starting left guard in free agency. Their offensive line's not as good. And the defense, I might be more concerned with the defense because the offense still managed to put up 40 points with Goff turning the ball over four times, five times. But the defense, they had 55 hung up on them by an inconsistent Bucks offense that can get hot. And that, to me, is more concerning with how loaded they are on defense. But the only problem with their defense is Aaron Donald's a little banged up right now and in the secondary and in the linebacking core they're they're pretty old Aqib Tlaib is old Clay Matthews is an older linebacker he's not the same linebacker he was in Green Bay that's just period point blank that's the facts they are an aged defense they're they remind me very much of the Denver Broncos a number of years ago they did have a guy like they did have a keep to leave, but they were just an an older defense that was good, but you just knew the chains would fall off the tracks eventually, and it did. The Rams are concerning me right now. They're falling to nine. They're very lucky that they're still in my top ten. It's just because of how talented the roster is as currently constructed that they're still in the top ten. Number eight, I've got the Seattle Seahawks. Putting them in there, Russell Wilson, it's amazing the transformation he's underwent over the last few seasons where the Seahawks have become more of a run-heavy offense and then Russell Wilson makes a couple of plays a game with his feet, dances outside the pocket, makes a play, and takes over with his arm late in the game. I really admire that that shift that he has made and it's made the Seahawks a better football team. Their defense... It's getting back to the level of defense that it was a couple years ago with the Legion of Boom. They've got Jadavion Clowney, and I think that's really helped out their team. I, I just they're getting better and better. And what should have been an off year for them last year, they ended up making the playoffs, making the wild card, 
lost a close game with the Cowboys. But right now, I think they're the favorite in the NFC West because I cannot trust the LA Rams. Seahawks at eight. Number seven, I've still got the Buffalo Bills right in there. Yes, they lost to the Patriots, but I feel like they had a an excellent chance to pull that one out near the end of that. If Josh Allen doesn't get hurt, they have Matt Barkley in the game. I think Josh Allen gives them a chance at the end. Patriots, they kind of did it all without Tom Brady. Tom Brady wasn't very good in that game. It was in Buffalo. They had a shot. Buffalo had a shot, and I still think with their defense, it's always super, super stout. And Josh Allen did get a concussion. So we'll see how he does. But Josh Allen's improving. I think he's the sec- right now the second best quarterback from the draft class, including Baker, Lamar Jackson, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen. I think Josh Allen right now is the se- is second best in terms of development. Uh, I genuinely believe that. I would go Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen. That is my honest, honest opinion. I think the Buffalo Bills are going to be a very formidable team in the AFC. Uh, definitely, and they're definitely set up for the next couple of years. They may not be, you know, outstanding this year, but I still think that they can give teams a tough time. I'm very excited about the about the Buffalo Bills, and I think their staff has really become one of the better staffs in the league under Sean McDermott. I wasn't a fan of McDermott, you know, a couple years back, uh, how they handled the Tyrod Taylor situation with Nathan Peterman and all that. But I think they've really uh, righted the ship. Is that even a correct phrase? But they've they've corrected things, and now they're one of the the better team. Maybe not better teams yet, but they're they're heading in a great direction. And so I've got them at seven. The loss doesn't change anything for me because the Patriots are the Patriots. It's tough. It's tough for any team to beat the Patriots on any week during the season. Number six. I've got the Chicago Bears. They moved to 3-1 and one on the year in what many would think maybe a handful of ugly games, but they're 3-1. And, and I know Mitch Trubisky went down with a shoulder injury, but it's not expected to be long-term. But when he gets back, I mean, this team has got the best defense in the league. Klimak is one of, if not the best defensive player in the league. I I might put him behind Aaron Donald. And then the offense, the offensive line is one of the better ones in the league. The running game, I think, is almost almost better. And I think Mitch Trubisky is improving. I think he was improving until he got hurt. The Bears are a tough out each and every week with just their defense alone. I've got them at six. Number five, I've got the Green Bay Packers. They haven't really shifted for me either. They played against the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles got really hot. They had some guys come back healthy, but I think the Packers are just fine. They played a close game, and I think really it just came down to Carson Wentz outplaying Aaron Rodgers a little bit. 
Carson Wentz was sensational. And Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers was just not able to completely match that. And that's why they lost. But the Packers defense is still very good, even though they got torched by Wentz. It's the best defense that Aaron Rodgers has had in a very long time. And Aaron Rodgers is healthy. And he's just got a better team around him than he's had in previous years. Now, I know Devontae Adams got hurt against the Eagles. hurt his foot. And that's big. But I still like their team. And with Aaron Rodgers, this team's got a chance to win every single game. Number four... I've got the Dallas Cowboys. They dropped down a spot. I am concerned by the uh, about the Cowboys because they lost their starting left tackle, Tyron Smith. And whenever he's out, the Cowboys struggle mightily. They struggled against the Saints with the pass rush. Dak Prescott did not have any time to throw the football. And they almost won, which is the amazing thing. But Ezekiel Elliott barely had 40 yards rushing. Dak Prescott was great in the third quarter, the best third quarter quarterback in the league right now. He's still perfect. Like he hasn't thrown an incompletion in the third quarter yet this season. Perfect passer rating. But the offensive line struggles are now going to worry me because they're going to have Cameron Fleming at left tackle. And I'm, I'm worried, especially against the Green Bay Packers, who have a good defense and an improved defense. It's going to be a very interesting game. One of the games coming up in my primetime predictions that we'll predict. But I still have the Cowboys at four. Number three, a team that's catapulting up a few slots is the New Orleans Saints. With Teddy Bridgewater, this team is 2-0. They marched down to Seattle and got a big win over the Seahawks. And then they played against the Dallas Cowboys, who had not scored uh, fewer than 31 points all year, had the third best rushing attack in the league going into the game, and just completely stifled them. The Saints can win with Teddy Bridgewater. Their offense is different. Teddy Bridgewater is not going to beat you throwing down the down, deep down the field. But he picks up first downs. He keeps the clock moving. Hands off to AK, Alvin Kamara. Hits Michael Thomas on the short to intermediate routes. This team with Teddy Bridgewater can very easily make the playoffs with the way that they play. And when they get Drew Brees back here in a couple of weeks... They'll be fine, and I'll have them back up there. I mean, they'll probably still be in the top four range. I've got the Saints at three. Number two, Kansas City Chiefs. They're playing a, they were playing against a tough Detroit team. Detroit is improved. It's much improved than in recent years. And, you know, they played a tough, grinded-out game. They got it done. And Patrick Mahomes, I mean, he's Patrick Mahomes. He's the MVP of the league. He'll probably be the MVP of the league this year. And there was a play in that game. Patrick Mahomes rolling out to his right, throws across his body over the middle of the field to Travis Kelsey, who catches it and immediately flips it to LaShawn McCoy, who was running that direction. And LaShawn McCoy was able to pick up an extra 20, 25 yards on the play. That's something you don't see. I'm not sure if that was by design or if Travis Kelsey was just like, yo, I'm about to get tackled immediately, but no one's around you. Flip it to McCoy and he takes off and LaShawn McCoy even at his age is still one of the most elusive backs in the league that was an incredible play and that's not something you see very often it didn't look like a designed play it didn't look like your typical hook and ladder kind of play 
But the Chiefs, man, with Andy Reid's play calling, Patrick Mahomes' wizardry and dominance, and they're going to get Tyreek Hill back in a couple of weeks from his collarbone injury. This team's winning now without Tyreek Hill. Just wait until they get him back and he plays a, a much more significant role and just adds to that already dominant offense. And their defense, I think, has improved and is better than in recent years. This team is the second best team in the AFC. Spoiler alert. Number one, the New England Patriots. Once again, I know they didn't play a great game against the Buffalo Bills, but it's a division rival. You're playing in Buffalo. It's a very difficult and tough place to play. And they grinded it out and they got the win. They've got the best secondary in football. Aaron Rodgers, or Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady is the best quarterback in the league the best quarterback of all time. They've got six running backs that can all play and all play significant roles. And Josh Gordon, Philip Dorsett is putting up career numbers. Julian Edelman does his thing. Really, the only thing they don't have is a dominant tight end. That's it. This team is still, it's it's the best in the league. And even after a tough game, where they didn't play their best football, they're still number one. Moving on now to primetime predictions for week five of the NFL season. The first game on my list, Rams at the Seahawks. If you took note during the Ford Food Chain, I have the Seahawks at eight and the Rams at nine. I think that tells you which way I'm going to sway in this game. It's in Seattle. The Hawks are going to win. I just don't have faith in the Rams offense and even more so in the Rams defense. Getting beat by 15 points and you and you allow 55 points, that's more of a defensive problem than an offensive problem. And I worry for the Rams. 12th man going to get it done this Thursday. Broncos at the Chargers. Uh, the Broncos have played some pretty close games. They're playing against the Chargers who are getting Melvin Gordon back. I mean... <laughs> Talk talk about a, a gut shot playing a division rival who just gets their arguably their best offensive player back. That sucks. Now, what his role is going to be, we don't know. It's probably going to be limited just as he gets back, as Gordon gets back into football shape. But he's still playing. Austin Eckler has been phenomenal. And Phillip Rivers does his thing. Keenan Allen has been great. The Bolt's going to win this one. I've got the Chargers. America's Game of the Week on Fox, the Green Bay Packers at the Dallas Cowboys. Tyron Smith being out for the Cowboys is huge for me. And they're still going to be without Michael Gallup, to my knowledge, at wide receiver. That's going to hurt how dynamic they are going down the field. Unfortunately, I think the Packers are going to win this game. Uh, And that's unfortunate for Dallas because I feel like Dallas has got a really talented team and honestly, I think they're the best roster and the best team in the NFC. But with the injury to Tyron Smith and to some of these other guys, I think that's going to hurt them. And I think the Packers are going to win. It'll be a close game. But I think the Packers are going to pull this one out. And then uh, the Browns taking on the 49ers. 
49ers are still undefeated. They're 3-0, but, I mean, I don't think of them as, you know, a great team. They're 3-0 because they had a bye week in week four, had an early bye week. But, I don't know, I just feel like the Browns have really tapped into something. And with the running game with Nick Chubb, and I think they're going to win. I I think the Browns are going to win. The 49ers have turned the ball over a lot in the first three weeks of the season. I just, I think the Browns got this one. And then I, that that's the Monday night game. And I accidentally skipped over the Sunday night game. We've got the Indianapolis Colts taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs. Not really much I need to say about that. Jacoby Brissett is not Andrew Luck. And the Chiefs are just better. And it's in Arrowhead. Under the lights. It's a clear choice. Kansas City Chiefs. So we'll see if I can do better this week with my primetime predictions. I really feel like I can go 5-0 and with, the, with this one this week. But now I want to talk about uh, something with college athletes. In California, their governor, Gavin Newsom, he just signed a bill on LeBron's show, his HBO show, The, the Shop, Uh, that is going to allow college athletes in California to get paid for their image, use of likeness, receive endorsements, so on and so forth. Get Get compensation while they're playing college sports. And I think this is huge. And 13 states have already kind of hopped on this bandwagon a little bit, and they're expected to have a law in place by around 2023, 2024. So within the next four to five years, we're going to see a big chunk of these states have laws in place that allow college athlete, college athletes to be paid. Now it would be it would be Division One athletes um, for the most part. This should be a nationally accepted law this should be a a federal law i i would think that and here's there's a multiple multitude of reasons i don't even know really where to start but college athletes make the universities their money because of their status and because of who they are they're the ones that bring people to the games fill the stadiums fill the seats fill the arenas sell the tickets and these universities profit from all of that. And TV networks use these players in commercials. They put them on billboards. They're on magazines. They're in everything. They sell their jerseys with no names on the back, just their number. These players, they're getting exploited by the NCAA. It's really a scam. The NCAA is making money off of the number on these athletes' backs. LeBron James said something very interesting in a press conference. I believe it was after a Lakers practice or during Lakers camp and said that if he had went and played for Ohio State, which he would have if he would have went to college because he's from Ohio, he wouldn't have been able to profit from the millions and millions of jerseys that were sold and you know the the commercials and the magazines and the ticket sales and 
and all the promotional stuff, LeBron James would not have been able to benefit from that and his family wouldn't have been able to benefit from that. And, I mean, he makes an extremely fair point. And college athletes just need to be compensated for that because they're the ones that are making the bread, bringing home the bacon for the NCAA. And I just don't think scholarships are enough for these students because all it does is just cover their cost of living while at college, you know, your room and board. And you also got to think of this, these college athletes, especially at the division one level, a lot of them are going on to play professionally and to be outstanding superstars. And they could sustain career ending injuries in college and not go out and make the money that they would have made in the NFL or the NBA or in a professional sport. They're just not going to go out and make that money. And that's why college athletes deserve to be compensated. And like another thing with likeness as well as the NCAA college football and college basketball video games that were sold years ago, they had to stop those because players wanted paid for them and the NCAA didn't want to do that. And now with this, hopefully those games come back in a, in a few years because quite frankly, those are one of the more popular games on the market across the world. I don't have a statistic in front of me, but I can just tell you. Now, another thing is college coaches get paid millions of dollars. It's really, uh, it, like, it's it's just a lot. And you've got to think that the money that universities make from these athletes, it's got to be spread out in other ways to to at least compensate these athletes a little bit. And it has a started at the division one level and it's likely only going to be, uh, it's going to be most prominent at the division one level because of the status of the athletes and the amount of money that the universities make division two and division three colleges don't make the money that division one schools make. That's just the fact. That's the fact of the matter. Now, Division II and Division III athletes should be able to profit from endorsements. If, P- if companies want to endorse these Division II and Division III athletes, then by all means, these players should be able to receive that money and be compensated. But they just wouldn't be able to receive money from the university because the money, ju- uh, the money just isn't there for the university to give to those, those athletes. And they don't offer... Division three schools don't offer athletic scholarships. Uh, That's just a rule. So it's got to start at the division one level and then trickle down. But right now with this bill put in place in California, signed into law on the shop. It's going to set off a chain reaction, get other states involved, and eventually... I think the majority of the country is going to hop on board with this and college athletes are finally going to get the compensation they deserve and no longer be exploited by the NCAA. Very interesting stuff, but that's going to do it for episode 83. Great conversation. I can sit and talk about compensation for college athletes all day long. Primetime predictions for week five. Seahawks over the Rams in Seattle. Chargers over the Broncos in Los Angeles. Packers over the Cowboys in Dallas. 
and Browns over the 49ers in San Francisco. Great stuff for episode 83. We'll see you soon in episode 84. It's WFS. WFS.